1: I'm going to invite uh, Ricky Lamb to
0: come up to the front. And um, so over the the summer, we we tend to get some of our uh, staff or the majority of our staff to speak, and also we bring in a few um, a few. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, a few excellent people to come and and, uh, and really show us how preaching should be done. And Ricky is one of those guys. So let me just tell you a little bit about Ricky in case you don't know who he is. It's actually uh, not just Master Ricky, but Dr. Ricky, although you, you don't know that. Um, in fact, I didn't even know he was a doctorate in his area. He he, he got his training in the Theological School of Food Sciences. Uh, which means he is someone who's who's like us normal, okay? He's he's not a trained pastor He is someone who just loves the Lord and God's Spirit is upon him uh, Since he came to be part of the Ebenezer family about ten years ago He is he is fully engaged serving in the college and career group speaking there He serves on our church board right now, and so we're, we're delighted to have him and And I said to him earlier, says, How do you want me to introduce you, Ricky? And I asked him about his degree. He says, I don't want people to know me for my my degree. I want them to know me for my love. And I thought, well, what a great, great statement. So it's my privilege to be able to introduce Ricky Lamb uh, to you today. And I would like to pray for you, Ricky, as you come to speak. So Father, may your hand be upon Ricky. May you anoint his, his lips. May you give him uh, joy as he speaks. May you turn any nervous energy into excitement of what your spirit's going to do. And, Father, uh, this is not just one-way communication. It's not just uh, him communicating to us. It's us listening. And so would you open our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts that we, we might know, understand, and respond in obedience. And so, God, uh, by your grace, would you speak to us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen
1: for that introduction, and thank you for having me. I'm deeply honored to be here, and I've benefited from the various pastors that have spoken here, and I I know that they dig deep into God's word, and I, I hope I can do them justice. And so, a little bit about me, and as Leighton kind of shared, you know, I'm not a trained pastor. I'm pastoral, but I'm not, yeah, in nature, and I love to walk with people, and I really enjoy that. I love food and the science behind it, and I enjoy all these things but I'm also quite lazy. And so what I mean by that is like a couple of months ago um, when Leighton kind of emailed me and said, hey, would you be open to sharing uh, at one of our summer series? And I was like, okay, well, let me go take this to God. So go pray, ask God about it. And I felt like God go, hey, it could be fun. If you want to go. So I was like, okay, sure, that sounds great. So I said, yes. And then the next question was, What would you like to teach on? Which are the commandments? Now, I'm lazy, so automatically, I want to look for the easiest one out there. So you start thinking about like, honor your mother and father's like, oh, you know, my mother and father might disagree with that. How about coveting? Oh man, I might not be the greatest at that either. And so when it came down to it, I was just, oh, I got it. Do not kill. (laughs) Don't kill. I mean. I mean, let me prove this to you, okay. Have you killed anyone? No, right? Okay. How about you? Have you killed anyone over there? Nope. Up there, anyone of you? A killer? Nope. Anyone killed anyone? How about online? In the side? No? No? Okay. Well, if you happen to have killed someone and you don't want to admit it, go to the authorities because it's important. But for all the rest of us, do you plan on killing anyone? Nope. I think my work is done right? This is it, right? This has got to be the simplest commandment to teach on, right? Well, maybe not. You see, if you've been with us this summer series, you're going to realize that there's actually more to the commandment than just the not, the don't do. What we're learning kind of in this series is that through the commandments, this is the way God is shaping his people. He's trying to allow us to know who he is, what he's like. He wants us to kind of get to know him and helps us wrestle with our sin and sinful nature and then point us towards something eternal. This is God's way of kind of telling us a little bit about who he is. And so maybe the question isn't about, you know, don't kill people. And that, that's, that, that's definitely there. Definitely don't kill anybody. But what, what does that really tell us about who God is? Maybe that this commandment is really, in part, tell us about, like, God values life. And so why would God value life? Well, he created it. We, as people, are God's crown jewel in creation. He took special time to build us, to design us, When God think of humanity, he built humanity in his image. He breathed life into us. This is something that, like, he designed specifically. He designed us for community, to live with one another. And so if we're looking more deeply into this, it's like, okay, so if God values life, what does that actually look like today? And so we know that these commandments are more than just what meets the eye, more than the don't. But when I read when I dig into scripture and I'm really not trying to step on someone else's commandment down the road, but it does say in Matthew chapter five, Jesus actually says, you know, even if you look at a woman with lustful eyes, you've committed adultery with them in their hearts in your heart. Furthermore, in First John it actually talks about, you know, you know, if you have hateful thoughts towards your brother, it's like you've murdered them. So there's something that's pretty severe about this. Now, if you're my friend, Trent Summer, he pointed out to me, and he says, look, Ricky, just read the next two chapters. God takes this really, really serious. He really, really values life. And so if we're looking at this and we're going, okay, so I'm not, not supposed to kill anybody. Okay, that, that I can do. But not, not think murderous thoughts about people? Not, not feel hatred towards of my brothers? Do you even know that Person? And some of you immediately, this, this uh, conversation conjures this image of your, maybe your neighbor or someone in your life who seemingly always judges you no matter what you do. It seems like as soon as you show up, they're like trying to pick on you, trying to take digs at you. Maybe it's a coworker, and you, you wonder are they just sitting in their office scheming how they can trip me in front of the boss? Are they just sitting there just trying to figure out, okay, like, how can I make Ricky's life horrible? I'm going to just go do just that. And some of you kind of, when you think about these people, you're going to go, okay, Ricky, like, just wait a minute. If you only knew this person that's in my mind right now, they've done this and this and this and this and this, and this list seems to go on for forever. It seems like everything they do is to try to take you down. And you might go, Ricky, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can not think these hateful feelings or these murderous thoughts towards them. Well, let us go into the Bible. So there's a dude in the Bible named Jonah. He's a prophet. Okay, so prophet basics is God speaks to this person, says, hey, you, I've got a message for so-and-so. Can you go on my behalf to share it? So God goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, okay, there is a city called Nineveh. I'm sure you know about it. They're evil. Go to Nineveh, call them out on their sins, tell them that, look, if they don't turn their lives around, that they'll be punished. This is bad for them. Okay, Jonah? Jonah looks at God and he hears this, and he goes, okay, God, where's, where's Nineveh again? Oh, it's, uh, it's east, eh? Okay, okay, God. And so Jonah takes off westward. He runs as far away as possible away from Nineveh. He runs out of land and he still keeps going. He runs to the nearest boat and he sees this boat and goes, Hey, which direction are you headed into? West? How much money? Here you go. And he continues taking off as far away from Nineveh as possible. Now, God gets a hold of this situation and then shakes this boat around in a storm, and it basically reveals that you need to throw Jonah out of the boat. And so jo- Jonah gets thrown off a boat, gets swallowed by a giant fish, and in, in the fish for three days, God works on his heart. And, works on, uh, and God works on Jonah's heart so that he would be willing to go to Nineveh. Now, the Bible doesn't actually says how Jonah is like when he goes to Nineveh. But I'm gonna go ahead and guess that he might be a little bit mopey. You know, like this whole like getting swallowed by a fish, you know, not doing what God wanted you to do. I don't think he's super motivated. So maybe he's, maybe he's there in Nineveh, he goes, okay, repent, this is bad. If you keep going out his way, God will destroy you, okay. And so he preaches the gospel in Nineveh because he finally relents. And so in that process, at first, it's just one or two individuals. And they're like, oh, maybe our lives is wrong. Maybe we do need to repent. And then, eventually, leaders hear about it, and this gets all the way up to the king, where the king goes, oh my goodness, this is bad for us, we need to repent. So the city of 120,000 people repents. And so you'd think, woohoo, God wins, right? This is great! But that's actually not how Jonah responds. We see in chapter four of Jonah, Jonah actually gets incredibly angry at God. So God does this amazing thing, turns a whole city around who's once known as evil, and now they've repented and walking in God's ways. And Jonah gets angry seeing this amazing thing that God does. He says, I knew it! You know, Jonah is like, I knew it, God. I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you'd be compassionate. I knew that if we went over there and we told them that they need to repent, that they do. And then you would have mercy on them and you would forgive them. You see, maybe deep down what we see, what is happening in Jonah's heart, he's ultimately saying those people don't deserve it. Those people, whoever those people are, and whoever those people in your life are, you might be, willing, you might be thinking about them and going, they don't deserve God's grace. How, with how bad they've treated me, they don't deserve God. But who are you to say that? You see, what we see in the story of Jonah is that even in, the, in those we might think that don't deserve God's grace, God created them. God values their life. This is, this is part of God's creation. And God values them, and so we might need to shift our hearts and shift the way that we look at them so that we can align ourselves with how God sees these people as people who need mercy, who need someone to come alongside of them and turn them around. Now, that might be incredibly hard to do, to be honest. And because like, sometimes the people in our lives that, kind of, that give us a hard time, you know, they're, it's... It's just impossible. You see them, you get angry, and you're like, "Ugh!" And so how do we do it? You know, when I look, when I think about that and I think about the cross, I think about Jesus. And so it's, it's Jesus goes through crucifixion, and he's going through crucifixion because of us. It's our sins that put Jesus on the cross. It's what we've done that makes Jesus have to make this ultimate sacrifice for us. And so when I look at Luke uh, chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross. He's, He's going through the toughest, the most painful way of death possible. He's hanging on the cross. And while he's on that cross enduring such incredible, agonizing pain, he looks down at us and prays to God, says, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If Jesus, in his most painful moment, can forgive us and have a heart of forgiveness and is in that moment maybe we can do the same you see in the last kind of year or so i was learning a little bit more about you know some of this stuff i feel like something that's been a practice of mine is that when these moments come and you have this person that seems to kind of stir up hate within you i take a moment and i go okay god like i i'm sorry that I'm feeling this way, God, and, and I'm, I'm harboring hate towards my enemy, and, and God, would you forgive me? Would you take this away from me and put something in me that's more befitting of you? God, in the way that I'm walking, I know that I'm, I'm walking in a way that's not fitting what you'd want from me, so God, would you pivot me, God, and help me walk in repentance? And I know that whenever I prayed those prayers, that God immediately does something in my heart that the hate dissipates, that I, I've, I'm more capable to walk in repentance. And I'm not saying that it's, you pray it once and it's done, because it might come back again and again, but I think this is where God's grace meets us, that he is quick to forgive us whenever we ask. And so all that really says is that, you know, you, you might pray it once and go, okay, I'm good for now, five minutes later, mm, okay, let me pray again and again and again. And slowly, with time, I feel like God turns us around and that molds us into, into someone that can forgive those who hurt us and it might, it might actually do wrong against us. Now, now, don't get me wrong here. Like, I'm saying that, like, if you are in a situation where you find that you're repeatedly being hurt or under suffering from someone else, if it's on you and if, it's capa- if you're capable of it, get out. But, being humans, I also postulate that no matter where you go, there's always going to be someone that rubs you up the wrong way. So what do you do about them? I think that when, when you look at God's example and he forgives us on the cross, if we learn from that, we can learn to forgive those that wrong us. You see, forgiveness isn't about forgetting. It's not to act as if that never happened or won't ever happen again. But forgiveness allows us to kind of take our hands to start to let go. We let go of the offense that this person has towards us. We learn to let go of the things that they've wronged us for. But what that does ultimately is it sets our hands free. And then now our hands can do something else with it. It can do something productive with it. And so what now? Like what does it mean to kind of live productively in that moment? Well, I want to draw your attention to a group of people in the Bible, and so if, if our focus when we read the Bible is on the Jews, there's a group of people that's just a little bit of offshoot, they're a little bit of like a half-brother, and and when people look at this group of people, they scoff. It's like that person that you actually see, and you're like, oh, man, look at their lifestyle, man. Look at how they live their lives, oh, goodness gracious, they're, they're just horrible people. They believe the wrong things, they, they look and dress funny, They say all the wrong things. They're just horrible people. And this group of people in the Bible were the Samaritans to the Jews. Although similar, although they share some sort of lineage way in the back, they're hated by the Jews. The moment that a Samaritan shows up in the presence of a Jew, you can almost expect this Jew to go, oh, you, get away from me, you Samaritan. But there's a story about this good Samaritan and this good Samaritan's on his way from A to B. And in the process of being on the way, he's in the middle of nowhere on the road. And he notices a dead a person that looks like he might be dead on the road. Clearly robbed because he's got no, this person's got nothing to him. Maybe he's just got the, the very clothes on his, on his back. No camel, no belongings, so he's clearly robbed. Bloodied, bruised, broken laying on the floor. The Samaritan kind of comes up to, the, comes up to this person and he, he immediately notices this is a Jew. And he goes, "Uh, well, I, I don't know that I can just walk past him because he's human and God created him and I recognize that, but what do I do? Maybe he's, he sheepishly comes up to him and does this, the little foot nudge kicks him in the foot, nudges him a little bit, and the Jew's like, ugh. Shoot, he's alive still. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, let's see what I can do. I've got a little bit of wine, bread, you know, ointment, banish some aspirin. Maybe that's all he needs. Goes up, gives him some water, a little bit of wine, dress against his wounds. Nope, nope. He's going to need more than that. He's gonna need more help than just a little bit of food, a little bit of ointment, to get along this way. Oh man! He, the Samaritan realizes there's three options. One, I've done what I could. I tried. See ya. Have a good life. But he knows that if he were to do that, this guy's toast. He's dead. He'll die. Option two. Well, if he needs some sort of further help, well, let's get him to an inn, let's get him to a doctor, to a physician, seek help, right? That makes sense, right? Okay, so let's take him to a Samaritan inn, a Samaritan physician. Good luck with that. This Jew and his piousness might wake up halfway through this journey and spit in my face. When he reaches to the Samaritan town and to the Samaritan inn, for sure, for sure, He's gonna be dead because no one's gonna to wanna to take care of him. The amount of vitriol that these Jewish people spat in our faces, no way. There's no way that anyone's gonna take care of him. He deserves it. That's what these Samaritans would feel. So he realizes the last and only options is if, if I were to get him real help, I'm gonna to have to carry him on my donkey I need to take him to one of his own towns, to an inn of his own, to get physicians that are his, from his people to take care of him. That's the only way, well, that's the only option whereby this person will make it out alive. But it comes at a cost. He knows he's hated by the Jews. As soon as he walks into this Jewish town, people are going to scoff at him. You're like, oh, you must be the one that caused him that. Oh, you feel guilty now. Oh, he must have robbed this Jewish guy. Let's go rob him. What are you doing here? He knows he's going to get met with a lot of hate. He knows that when he gets to the inn, uh, the innkeeper is going to turn the sign around about the pricing per night and just charge him like through the nose. He knows that like, when the physician's bill kind of comes and if he's willing to pay for it, it's going to be four times as much as what it, it should be. He's going to get ripped off all over the place. It's going to cost him a lot just to get this Jewish man well again. And what does the Samaritan man do? He actually chooses to go ahead with it. He chooses to go, yes. He says yes to the task He says yes to the ridicule. He says yes to to all the ways that he's going to get ripped off. Because why? God values this person. This person is made in the image of God, even though I'm his sworn enemy. Even though his people will ridicule me, will hurt me, it's going to cost me a lot. The Samaritan is willing to do that. And so my challenge to you today is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go out of your way to give life to those, to do things that bring life to those around you? If God values life, maybe the question for you today is simply, are you willing to do what will bring life to those around you? Now that could be something simple, you know, when I think about my friends and I know their needs, it might be as simple as going, hey, you want to grab a coffee? I'd love to catch up with you. And that time spent will bring them life. Or you know that they need help lifting that fridge and you go, okay, fine, let's go do it. Or, you, or they need help cleaning their house or mowing their lawns or doing these or that task With our friends and even to some of our strangers, sometimes that's easier easier to do. But what about those that come against us? I think that God calls us to act even on our enemies' behalf to bring life to them. I think that's important because that's one of the ways that God shows himself through us to the world. And, and you can be a part of that. When I think more deeply about all of life that the Bible teaches of, one element of life that we haven't touched on today is, that, is the spiritual life. Sometimes some of these things might be easier to do. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of tend to our friends and do things that help them bring life to our friends. It might be slightly harder, but still easy to kind of tend to the needs of the strangers. And, it, and it'd be hard to do, to tend to, to bring life to those that are against us. But sometimes what really scares us is to share the gospel because these people that are around us, these strangers, these friends of ours, these enemies of ours, they may, may not know Christ. In Ephesians chapter two, it actually describes our condition prior to knowing God. It describes us as dead, that we are spiritually dead in our sins, that in it that God raised us alive in Christ. By knowing God, we become spiritually alive. We go from a a position of spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. So if God values life, and he values all of life, I think that it goes beyond just the physical, but also the spiritual. And I know that for some of you, the thought of that scares you. That's fine. There's nothing to be scared of. And I want to try to convince you of that today, simply because when I look at the scriptures and I look at who God is, I think that it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10, it talks about you and me, if we're in Christ, we are God's handiwork. We were created by God. We were designed by God to do good works that he prepared for us. So if you're wondering if you can do these things, like do, do things that bring life to your neighbors, to the strangers, to your enemies, if you're wondering if you can share the gospel to those who, and have the wisdom to know how to do that well, you do, because God designed you for those tasks. You might not know what that task is just yet, but God prepared you to do a good work. And some of this good work is to bring life to those around you whether those are people who are your friends, people you don't know, people who are against you. And so my challenge to you is simply this today. Will you, if God values life, will you value life the way God does? If God cares about the the totality of life in a person, physical and spiritual, will you? Will you have the boldness to do that? Will you take time and pray and get on your knees and ask God, God, like, who is it that I need to do this for? What are some names of people that I need to care about? Who are these people and how? How do you want me to care for them? When, when should I be doing this? And if God gives you names, a how, and a time, my challenge to you is to do it. Because like Jonah, who went to Nineveh, totally expecting that this was wasted time, probably. Okay, God, you call me to, to Nineveh, I'm going to preach good news, oh, but these people are too evil to believe you. You never know. Maybe you'll have a Jonah, a Nineveh moment where you, where you see people's lives turn around, where you see your enemies not work against you anymore, and maybe even come to consider Christ and think about it. Maybe God wants to use you to reach out to those that are lost. Maybe. And the question really is, will you? Will you be willing to do that? And so to close off our time today, I I just want to challenge you to take time to pray. To pray about, like, to whom might you be called to send to do good works to? To whom might you be called to bring life to? And so as the worship team kind of comes up, I just want to pray for you to end your time together. And, And so let's pray. Dearly, Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you created life. I thank you, Lord, that we have life. And not just in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense, the Lord, that you've given life to us. God, you know all of our circumstances. You know all the people that we come in contact with. You know everyone that we speak to. And so, Father, Lord, I know that in the midst of us, there's probably people that would come up and are like, man, these people just don't like us. And so, God, would you use us to bring life to those all around us, no matter who they are? Would you give us the wisdom and, and give us the know-how to know what to say, what to do, when to do it? Would we lean into you and trust, trust in your power to be able to do this? Because you're a good God, and I know that you want to work through us to share with those who don't know you who you are. So God, we, we thank you for this day, and thank you that we can come here to worship you, to, to get filled up, to, to bless you, God. And I just pray that you would teach us today and show us what we ought to do, when we ought to do it, and how we ought to do it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and
1: thanks for listening.